the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we welcome you back to episode 33, this time of the Math and Physics Podcast, where today we're going to be talking about something that is insane. I mean, I say this almost every episode, but today (laughs) we're going to be talking about the Big Bang Theory. It is probably the most insane thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> um, well, I guess, what is the Big Bang? I guess is we our can first simply start with it. Okay, so let's just start I'm, into the podcast. No uh, no quick preamble of the downloads. Uh, quick update, though. We did reach 15K. So once again, thank yep. you to everyone who's continuing to download and follow our yep. content. Yeah, also 1,100 followers on hey, spotify so that's okay, dope that's that dope. Is dope that is dope thank, once again thank you to everyone yeah, okay thank so you let's everyone get straight listening. into it who theorized the big bang how did the big wait bang, before the big before bang that even come up sorry before that um just I, i'm gonna assume everyone knows what it is but let's <laughs> pretend like there's one listener out there that does not know what the big bang is okay okay basically life as we know it has not always been a thing, right? Mm -hmm. There's a finite amount of time that you can go into the past where everything was just one. Everything was literally in one point with no dimensions ever. Yep. And no time, no anything. Nothing. Nothing existed. Absolutely And so it was theorized that, uh, you know, before anything ever existed... There was just like an infinite density, infinite temperature singularity point that just exploded and then the the universe expanded. Expanded, expanded. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't wasn't an explosion. It was Mm -hmm. just an expansion. That's the common misconception, actually, that we're going to be coming into today. We're going to be basically covering a lot of the points, I think, of the Big Bang and, you know, why it could be the most most possible theory to predict how our universe began. Right, so right. hopefully you guys understood the basic idea behind the Big Bang, just a small something point-like particle expanding into what we know today, right? But and I bet this... you, yeah. So I bet you a lot of people have uh, like really common questions that we're going to answer today, and mm-hmm. that is, yeah. well, how do we know the age of the universe? Like Ooh. we have this number that we throw around all the time, but how do we actually know exactly. that? And also, how do we know that the universe wasn't just, you know, some big space as we know it today forever? Like, how do we know it it doesn't just it wasn't just like this forever? And we'll Mm -hmm. we'll answer those questions as we Mm -hmm. go on with the podcast. So uh, in around sometime in the years of 1927 to 1932, the timeline is a little bit skewed because no one really knows the exact year. But the scientist known by the name of George Lemaitre, a very, very, very popular scientist, he, he had a theory. He saw that galaxies, he was actually the first person to discover that galaxies are moving away from one another. Hubble actually did it after George Lemaitre. So the, so the common Hubble law that we know today, the fact that 
galaxies are simply moving apart from each other. Today is actually interestingly known as the Hubble-Lemaitre law. If like just cool fact. Anyways, so yeah, so George Lemaitre was w the first scientist, or at least known scientist, to discover that galaxies are moving away from one another. And what he called this effect, the idea behind galaxies moving away from one another and therefore must have started at one initial point, he called that the hypothesis of the primeval atom. Now, that's a very hard name to really pronounce in like, a, you know, a day-to-day -day basis. But now this is where the story gets a little bit interesting. Another scientist by the name of Fred Hoyle, who was a popular scientist in the realm of the steady state theory of the universe. The steady state theory is basically, as Parker mentioned, the universe has always existed, is always existing, and will always exist the way it is. That is what Fred Hoyle believed. Funny story. On a radio show, as Fred Hoyle was being asked, you know, what do you think about this other person's theory, the hypothesis of the primeval atom? He states, and uh, this is quote unquote from the radio show, these theories were based on the hypothesis that all matter in the universe was created in one big bang at a particular time in the remote past. Now, why do I mention that? Because this is the first recorded instance of the, of the word big bang. And after Fred Hoyle said it in this radio show, it basically became popular. And now everyone knows it as the Big Bang Theory. Even though he was actually rooting against it till the very day he died, he, the Big Bang Theory is what is known as today, simply because he was trying to say, yeah, the Big Bang is wrong, but this is right. And every, all media outlets just caught on to the name Big Bang. And here we have it, even though it does provide an incorrect representation of the universe, because as we both just stated, the Big Bang wasn't really a bang. It wasn't an explosion. It was more of an expansion of the universe. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the cause of that initial expansion is theorized, mm -hmm. but completely unknown. Completely. Right? We, we, can, we can throw around hypotheses and be like, oh, maybe it was a spark, <laughs> you know. <laughs> In reality, there is a good chance that we're never going to know, but it's, yeah. not, it's not always um, reasonable to say it's impossible that we'll, that we'll ever know. Because, um, I mean, you know, like, science yeah. just becomes yeah. better and better. And, More advanced. Yeah, that's right. Like, like who, who in the 1700s would have thought about general relativity being a thing? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, and, it, yeah. even though it's true, doesn't mean like it's easy to come about. So yeah, for sure, for sure, I agree. Yeah. So same deal goes with uh, knowing the the cause of yeah. the initial expansion. Yeah. So many people then wonder, well, then how do we know that this Big Bang theory is even right? Right. Like how, how, how can we have an idea? The answer is the cosmic microwave background. Now, the cosmic microwave background radiation, what we commonly call today the CMB, is what is actually the initial, the very initial amounts of radiation set off from the expanding universe. The moment the universe expanded from that singular one-dimensional particle or zero-dimensional technically particle to what we know today. The second that that happened, this radiation has been, well, radiating ever since then, 13.4 <laughs> billion years ago. Since then, it has been radiating out in all directions of the universe. Now, how do we know this thing exists? Another very, very interesting story. 
1964, two scientists were like, hey, we want to detect these radio waves that we're going to bounce off of a satellite that is currently orbiting Earth, and we just want to detect them. That was their experiment. Nothing crazy, nothing, nothing too fancy. So to do that, to, find, to actually see the radio waves, they had to filter out all the possible background noise that they could see, right? Now, the moment they did this, this was very... Now, now this is what kind of caught their attention. The moment they removed the background noise, whatever was remaining was 100 times more intense than what they had thought would, uh, the lack of background noise would be. Right, because if you remove background noise, well, it should just be like a flat line and you're only trying to measure one common, you know, this radar signal. But because of this cosmic microwave background, this radar signal can also be affected by this background because the background is everywhere in the universe. And no matter where or when you are, you will be able to measure this cosmic microwave background. So this, in 1964, was the first measurable instance of the cosmic microwave background, even and though Rehan, they didn't actually know it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure... Um, so when, when the universe was at T equals zero, all right, mm -hmm. the... Or not, sorry, not T equals zero. Um, past the... We're going to talk about epochs in a, in a short while. But um, at one point, photons were freely traveling, right? Because mm -hmm. at one point, it was too dense for photons to move around. But once photons were able to move around and the universe became um, non-opaque or whatever, mm -hmm. those initial photons were gamma rays, right? Yes, I believe so. Because and, it's, and, it's just highest frequency, right? Like highest measurement, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. so um, this might be wrong. So if you don't believe me, you can do some research. But, <laughs> For um, sure. Anyways, it, it, was, it was either, you know, it was a high frequency uh, mm -hmm. photons that were being emitted. And because of the redshift, you can actually perform the calculations. From that T equals zero to now, if you perform the redshifting equations of the wavelengths of the photons, you can actually calculate that those initial photons would be in the microwave wavelength today. Oh. And so that's kind of like an analytic perspective on this cosmic micro, micro what is it? Cosmic microwave Co background, background radiation. radiation. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the reason we're not seeing colors in the sky or in space <laughs> It, yeah. Well, I'm guessing, yeah, at it's still one not point, visible it will, light. it's still not yeah. enough to be visible. Yeah, it's not visible, mm -hmm. but it's it's below the visible spectrum. Yeah. But, you know, those waves are there and we were only able to pick those up because randomly these guys performed uh, their little mm -hmm. experiment and yeah. they picked it up and they're like, wait, we, we, we can see these microwaves everywhere we look in space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they came to the, the conclusion that... Um, you know, they, they stem from the initial stages of the universe. Yep. And uh, just also a quick reminder that uh, microwaves are on. Uh, so microwaves are kind of redshifted versions of gamma waves. So the frequencies are lower. Right. Mm -hmm. So after these 14 billion years, what Parker was basically trying to convey is that the light stretched out over time, showing that the universe kind of expanded and is still expanding into what we know today. Mm -hmm. And based right. on the actual frequency that they were detecting, 
that's one way that they estimated the age of the universe. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's right. So, do you have anything else to say about... Uh, uh, not really. Not that? much about uh, cosmic microwave background. I think that's basically just a cool fact that I wanted to say how they first uh, saw real proof yeah. of it. But that's, uh, I mean, that's basically, we, I mean, we're obviously going to be talking a lot about the CMB in this video because mm -hmm. it's basically the Big Bang, right? It's all, all about the Big Bang, so. Yeah, so in the early stages of the universe, um, there are things that I mentioned earlier that are called epochs, all right? And these are just uh, segments of time, okay? And we, we'll, I'll, you know, name them in a, in a few seconds. But you'll see that the first few epochs are so incredibly short that making the distinction between these epochs is purely you know purely mathematical you know purely, if there was a like so purely <laughs> yeah if there was an observer you know obviously the conditions back then wouldn't yeah, allow yeah. for an observer to be present yeah, yeah, I mean, but let's say i was able to put my eyes in in the big bang situation <laughs> i would not eat like the universe would be formed before i could even blink an <laughs> yeah. eye you know so let's start with the first epoch well, not the universe, it's called but like most of yeah the no not would be over like yeah most yeah of them would be over by the time you blink yeah i didn't mean like the earth would yeah, be yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> formed but yeah so the very first epoch is called the Planck epoch Ooh. and it uh, get this okay i i highly doubt you'll be able to um, imagine how long this epoch is but it's from zero seconds to 10 to the negative 43 seconds all right <laughs> so okay oh <laughs> i guess all i can say is that imagine one second okay and then divide that second in 10 43 times and that's what you'll be left with <laughs> so yeah it's so a in very very small number yeah so during during this epoch there was, you know, of course, expansion going on. And basically, we today we know four fund fundamental forces. And every single other force that we know, like colloquially, like friction and things like that, they all come from these fundamental forces. And so there's electromagnetic force, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, and gravitational force. I did say them upside down, though, because yeah. the strongest one is <laughs> it, go it goes strong nuclear electromagnetic weak nuclear and gravitational mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. what i always love saying this because people are surprised when they hear that gravity gravity is the weakest force they're like wait how is that possible i like when i jump i don't go into space so obviously there's like a strong force that's keeping me down but think about this okay if you have a balloon and you rub it on your head right it'll stay stuck to your head due to the electrostatic forces, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that it stays stuck to your head means that the electrostatic force of just you rubbing that balloon on your head outweighs the gravitational force of the entire Earth pulling on that balloon, mm -hmm. okay? So that's just, that's just to put it in, into perspective. Like, the, the entire mass of the Earth... So I don't know why I said urge, but the earth is not even strong enough for like, you know, for example, a tiny little magnet, right? On a piece of metal yeah. or a balloon being rubbed on your head. Like it's, it's incredibly weak. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's the weakest. So, yep. so now, you know.
Um, strong nuclear. I, I don't, should we get into the four fundamental forces, or should yeah. we talk about this in another episode? I think we can talk about the fun like more in depth in another episode. But like, yeah. I think we can just go over like the main things that happened in each epoch, because even though like it happened in ten to the negative forty three seconds. A yeah. lot of things happened, like mm-hmm. quite a lot of things happened in all of these epochs, even though they lasted for like literal, like unconceivable second, like mm-hmm. unconceivable units of time. Sorry, is what so I mean. for the the first epoch, mm-hmm. actually not that much happened, right? Well, it was just it was just was some like, yeah the very very beginning, right? It it was just uh, the universe was expanding. It was incredibly dense incredibly hot it was just as i've heard before a, a soup of things oh yeah just, i've heard of that before just like yeah running around well not you know just floating around mm-hmm. and being crazy extremely there's, dense at this right point, there's an incredible point. amount of pressure an incredible amount of thermal energy kinetic energy just everything is just packed down together so this was you know you couldn't see through anything because mm-hmm. every like the photons weren't even able to or no there weren't even photons at that time no no not yet yeah not not, yet. E- not even and also, so but interestingly oh, oh, yeah. at in this epoch though two things that did well theoretically again because we haven't found experiment experimental evidence but theoretically two th- very important things that formed were dark matter and dark energy both of which formed in the Planck epoch and the dark mm-hmm. energy, as we know today, is what's theorized to be expanding the universe. So we theorize, just like in the Big Bang, in this Planck epoch when dark energy was created, the reason the universe kept expanding is because as it expanded, more dark energy was created and more dark energy would just expand it even more. And this mm-hmm. would basically keep happening. And this expansion rate, interestingly enough, was actually a lot faster, or again, theorized, a lot faster than the speed of light because again it's not something that's actually increasing it's just dark energy that's being created and created and created and that's giving the effect of the universe expanding and and, and that yeah. all happened in the Planck epoch supposedly <laughs> so, that's I, right. I think all of this is supposedly because i don't think anything is factual this is all just theoretically this is what we think yeah, this is our our best and most accurate depiction mm-hmm. of what actually yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. Just a little disclaimer, there are going to be many, many details that we will be skipping over. Yeah. Just because, you know, we would have to do a lot of research and we'd basically just be reciting facts yeah, instead of exactly. just talking about it. So mm-hmm. instead, we're just going to like briefly be talking about different topics related to the Big Bang. So yep. what I actually wanted to say about the four fundamental forces is that in the very first epoch these four forces were actually unified and they were just Mm. there was just one force and as we'll see um through every stage these forces separate into what we know them today so the first force to separate was uh the gravitational force so and this was in the second stage um which wait, is called that, wait yeah does oh yeah well i guess gravity separates in the first very very first in the grand unit yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay sorry continue continue yeah so after the planck epoch the grand unification epoch which began at 10 to the negative 43 seconds <clears throat> and ended at 10 to the negative 37 seconds 
Oh, wow. So, so much time. What? What, <laughs> so, did, what? what did they do? Yeah, pretty much instantly. But yeah, at, um, at that stage, the universe was also very hot and uh, very dense and very small still. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a lot of time has gone by. <laughs> so, you know, it's still very dense, very small, very, you know, everything. But it's it's expanding as mm-hmm. we're going on with it's these uh, with these epochs. It just keeps expanding as, as the time goes on, yep. Yeah, so during this epoch, the gravitational force separated from uh, the the other four or the other three fundamental forces. And at this point, um, the universe's temperature started falling. Um, so yeah, before, right, the universe was, I think it was like 10 to the 32 degrees Celsius. Um, so Calvin. once the universe... Oh, no, wait. No, it, it was Celsius, Celsius. yeah. Oh. I mean... Big deal, you know, Big plus deal. <laughs> plus three hundred. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, it was way too hot for particles to be created. But um, as the universe cooled down, this is when you know things started to chillax a little bit, and particles were able to form, and you know, subsequently more complex interactions were able to ensue. Yeah. I don't think uh, we're going to be going over, like, every single epoch. No, no. Like, you know, I mean, w- we can just, like, kind of summarize them. Because I think after the grand unification, something really interesting happens where once gravity separates from the unified forces, then we have the strong nuclear separating from what at that time is called the electroweak, where the electromagnetic and the weak are one. But mm-hmm. the the really cool part about that um I, I don't know if i've mentioned this before in a, on the podcast have i mentioned quark gluon plasma before because it's a really cool state of matter it's basically where like the ma- like it's so hot that like quarks which basically make up like you know our fundamental particles like protons and neutrons and gluons that hold those particles together so at this temperature it's so hot that all this quark and like all these quarks and gluons they can't bind together to make a particle so it's basically just one hunk of quarks and gluons and it's called plasma because it's at extraordinary temperatures right so quark gluon plasma is actually a pretty cool state of matter that you can kind of say is separate but it's kind of like another plasma so that that lasted for grand unification yeah, yeah th- it also lasted for a total of like 10 to the negative 34 <laughs> seconds or whatever. It was very, very short. Very yeah. short. Yeah. So after the Electro Week Epoch, I'm not going to go into super detail. Yeah, yeah. We um, don't have to go into each. We just have to like just say stuff yeah. happens. So after that, <laughs> it was form. the Quark Epoch, which was at 10 to the negative 12. And then the Hadron Epoch, which was at 10 to the negative <laughs> 6 seconds. The- it's just reciting at this point. Yeah, and then, you know, after, it, during every epoch, there's more, you know, th- mm-hmm. new things that are being formed, as well as the universe is getting larger and getting cooler. Yeah. After that, the lepton epoch, which is actually at one second. So hey. we made it to one second of the hey. universe being, yeah. being so, born. So just imagine that all of what we have just mentioned like the 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 plank the quark like the grand unification all of that happened under one second yeah and like, most of it happened just to think about by itself most of that happened under a a quadrillion billion zillion of a <laughs> yeah, second yeah. right yeah you know 
imagine the Hadron Epoch started at one one millionth of a second. And then the next one was the Lepton Epoch, which was at one mm-hmm. second. So everything before that happened in literally less than the blink of an eye divided by infinity, right? <laughs> so finally, we reached the, the last the last epoch that lasted a reasonable amount of time, which was the photon epoch, which started at 10 seconds, the universe being a thing, yep. all the way photon. until, uh, yeah, we finally see light. Let there be light. Um, and there it is. That's right. New things yep. start happening once again. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, um, normal matter is mostly hydrogen. Yep. And uh, it's like 75% hydrogen and 25% helium. And, uh, Just proton electron, basically. Yeah, point. so the rest of the free electrons uh, start to scatter light 20 minutes into the uh, universe. Yeah. So that's, that's the... Those are basically the ideas behind the epochs. But one very interesting thing that I do want to mention that mm-hmm. also happened in one of these and like, you know, just as the universe was expanding, something very interesting that we, well, don't see today, actually, that some people wonder about, you know, many people ask the question, why is there so much more matter in the universe than there is antimatter? Because when the universe was created, right, we know that there is this thing called antimatter. So when the universe was created, why wasn't there equal amounts of both? This problem is actually known as baryon asymmetry. It's actually a very popular problem in this Big Bang model mm-hmm. where no one, I, I mean, I don't think there is an answer at least, but I'm pretty sure there isn't because no one really knows where all the antimatter or, um, matter particles went. I mean, it's, it's just a mystery because technically, if you think about it, right, in a perfect universe, there shouldn't be 50-50. Like, why would there be so many more matter particles than there are antimatter? Or or why couldn't it be the other way around? You know, yeah. what tells our universe to only have matter and no one, or at least I don't think anyone knows yet. So, yeah. That's right. There are a lot of, um, lot of questions to be asked. And, yeah. you know, there are a lot of clues waiting to be uh, found that are just, you know, lying in space. We just need the, the right eyes to look at the clues and the right brains to analyze them. Mm -hmm. And maybe one day we will know a lot more than we know today, which is fairly a lot. Mm -hmm. But we, I mean, Oh no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I I mean, we we know fairly a lot. There is, there is quite a bit of information. We don't do know. Like we don't even like we, we know like, okay. Matter constituents, like what? Two to 3% of the universe as of, as of what we know. Rest is dark matter, dark energy. Two things that we don't even we have no clue about. So, yeah, but at least, at least we recognize that there's something yeah, that we don't there. know, right? Mm-hmm. We just have to perform the right measurements or whatever. Yeah, it's gonna be hard, but I think it's possible. Yeah. yeah so sure. some some honorable mentions um, within the the uh, the course of the universe mm-hmm. is that. Um, 200 to 300 million years into the universe, the first stars start to shine. Wait, so that's wait, awesome. one minute. Before, before you continue, though, you yeah. just started with 200 million. <laughs> yeah. Like, our listeners might be like, wait, we were like less than a second in 10 <laughs> seconds, and now we're 200 million? 
Okay, well, so there's a lot of... interestingly enough... No, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a short segue. Yeah, go the ahead. The Dark Ages, the cosmic dark age of the universe, lasted for about 200 million years. Yeah. So <laughs> since the first... Fo- even though there were photons that were scattered, there was no actual thing because there was no fusion happening there was no stars that were formed there was nothing actually happening in the universe there were just particles flying about everywhere well there so, were things happening on the on the subatomic scale yes yeah, so, yeah but like there was nothing I exciting yes yeah it was pretty much just like a mm-hmm. a big cloud of gas and other stuff mm-hmm. just, you wouldn't to really be, be able to see much if <laughs> no. I mean, like if you were an observer it would just be like black just yeah. Absolute darkness. Literally nothing for 200 million years. I just yeah. think that's pretty funny that all of that <laughs> happens like <laughs> within a second and then 200 million years they have nothing. Because one of the one of the reasons why it took so long is because gravity is such a weak mm-hmm. force. And so if you didn't know this, now you know. But stars are just balls of gas, right? And so if all the gas was spread out in the universe in the in the early stages, imagine like imagine a big cloud of gas. How long would it take for gravity to just bring that cloud of gla- of gas <clears throat> together and to form a huge dense ball of of burning gas? And um, how that actually happens, by the way, is that you know the gas comes together by the force of gravity and how does it ignite right it's it's uh mostly due to uh hydrogen burning right in the for the main sequence stars which is what we're actually learning right now in our astrophysics Mm -hmm, course mm -hmm. um so yeah the pressure just becomes so intense in the core that hydrogen or let's say like two hydrogen uh, atoms get pushed together very closely and fuse together and they make well actually it's four the hydrogen four, four yeah i was just gonna say yeah that. sorry yeah. The, the the four hydrogen atoms get pushed together and they fuse into one helium atom and also there's a little extra energy and that is because of the mass difference between four helium and one uh, sorry, no, four, four hydrogen, hydrogen and, one helium, and yeah. one helium. And as we know, E equals MC squared. So you can actually calculate the amount of energy that gets uh, released after this fusion process. And so that energy is is what powers the sun mostly. Yep. There, there are other things going on, but mm-hmm. for for main sequence stars, which are the most popular type types of stars, um, that's what's powering most of their most of their lives. I have to mention one thing, even though I know I shouldn't, because it's just going to confuse Why? people. And I know he told me not to mention it, but <laughs> when you said it, I had to mention it. Okay. So uh, P- Parker just said, you know, how there is a cloud of gas and how gravity brings it all together. <laughs> now, <laughs> I have to mention this. I'm sorry. In the world today where we believe in general relativity, which states that gravity isn't really a force, it's just in an effect of space, of space-time. So if gravity is not a force in this general relativistic view, then how did all of these stars and all come together? How did galaxies come together, right? The answer is dark matter. So 
what gravity couldn't do, because remember, in this general relativity view, gravity doesn't exist. So if gravity doesn't exist, how do these things come together? Well, dark matter, what's governing all of these galaxies, all of these solar systems. I mean, there's dark matter in our solar system. So the dark matter that's governing all of these planetary bodies is basically what's responsible for bringing them together. And then due to their force on each other, they cause then the, the nuclear fusion and then stars are born and all kinds of good stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, there are two ways to look at it. I just have to give that explanation. And I think it's a really cool explanation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so um, as I stated earlier, mm -hmm. 200 to 300 million years into the universe, the first stars started to shine. Yep. And only, uh, you know, 500 million years later, the first galaxies started to form. As you know, galaxies are just collections of stars rotating about a, a very, well, you know, quote unquote, dense center, mm -hmm. you know, relatively dense. Uh, if you're comparing to the outer reaches of the um, of the galaxies. Um, I don't know if this is right, but you probably know this, right? Uh, does every galaxy have a black hole in the middle? No, only the large galaxies, such as Andromeda, the Milky Way, have galaxies in the middle. But messier galaxies, like smaller ones, like some mm -hmm. of them obviously do, but some of them, dwarf galaxies, for example, have nothing in the middle. It's just a spiral rotating about a center. All right. Interesting. Yeah. And as you know... always, yeah. Or maybe maybe not as you know, but uh, <laughs> there are there are hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe today, mm -hmm. and you know, I think hundreds of millions of clusters. And I like, mean, no one really knows to be honest. Like, uh, yeah, we, we're uh, just assuming uh, at this point in our in our observable universe. Oh, in is. our observable universe, um, yeah, probably hundreds of millions. Yeah, I. To be, I don't know. No, because see, there are a lot of clusters that make up a local cluster and a lot of local clusters that make up a globular cluster or a global mm. cluster, something like that. And then that makes a super cluster. And so like they, there are all these stages of galactic clusters. So like to say that there are 100 million of one of them doesn't really like there's so many types. Yeah. So there are just a lot of them. Just I, I think that's enough. Mm -hmm. So I actually yeah. did my research. Oh. Uh, and that research entails a uh, quick Wikipedia search. Oh. But uh, so after um, after galaxies and all that, it's pretty bland. Uh, we know that the Earth slash solar system came about around 4.5 million years ago from today. Billion. billion. Oh, yeah. Billion. Sorry. Yeah. 4.5 billion. Mm -hmm. um, and the earliest life, the earliest single-celled organism on the Earth came 4 billion years ago. That is crazy. So if you just put that into perspective, by the time the Earth was formed and single-celled life was roaming the oceans of our planet, not that much time went by relatively to the rest of the uh, timeline that we just talked mm -hmm. about. Um, so yeah, only 5 billion years, or sorry, 0 0.5 billion years went by yep. between those two events. So 500 million. Yeah. You can mm -hmm. <laughs> After that, yeah. Uh, photosynthesis started happening 3.5. Oh, uh, are we talking about earth formation now? 
Uh, no, I'm just listing off like some uh, some important dates. Okay. But yeah, so 3.5 billion years ago, photosynthesis, uh, molecular life started one and a half billion years ago, and then you know humans came about well like two million years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, I have no idea. I'm just I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you if you put that all into perspective, humans have been around for literally no time at all yeah compared to the age of the universe which as parker mentioned transition by the way Mm. as parker mentioned there is a way to do it and i think you can talk about that again because like we can go into a little bit behind how do we determine the age of the universe because we were you know multiple times in this video we probably said that the universe began you know 13 14 billion years ago but how do we really know that well there are multiple ways of doing it and using the cosmic microwave background is, I think, the best one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, I think that's the best one. But another way of doing it, interestingly enough, is the mass relationship with a star's luminosity and the time that it exists. Let me explain. The smaller the mass of a star is, like if, a, if for example, the sun will last for like, what, let's say 10 billion years. Let's just say 10 billion years. A, mm-hmm. a star that's half the mass of the sun will last for 20 billion years. Why? Because it's so it's less massive, and therefore the fusion, the nuclear fusion that it needs to produce to be intact, is a lot less, orders of magnitude less than a star heavier. And therefore, a star, you know, 30 times the mass of our sun will burn out in, let's say, you know, a few hundred million years. So, what we can do is looking at very low mass stars across the universe in different clusters. What, like, for example, now we have, you know, very, very, very powerful telescopes that can tell all these different properties of stars. So if we point at really old, old, old galaxies, old clusters, as in moving really far away from us, or big clusters, big clusters are usually very, very old. So if we look at those clusters and we look at a very low mass star, we can then kind of estimate the range of how old that cluster is. And when we do this for enough clusters, we can kind of get an idea of how old the universe is. So the idea was measure these stars, measure the luminosity of these stars, and try to estimate the time that these stars have been quote unquote in this universe for. And the average expe- and the average lifetime, quote unquote, of these stars was about thirteen to fourteen billion years. So that's why we say today that the universe has existed for about thirteen point now thirteen point four was probably from you know much better accuracy and getting down the uncertainty and stuff. But this is the basic idea. Actually, the 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 official value mm-hmm. we have is thirteen point seven nine nine plus or minus. No, oh. no, it's oh, no, uh. Mind. Yeah, so 13.799 plus or minus 0.021 billion oh. years. I mean, see, I mean, that's that's pretty decent. I mean, that's not great, but that's pretty decent accuracy. Yeah. Like, within the range of, like, what, uh, like 2 million years or 20 million years or something? 20, like, 20 million, yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> 20 million <laughs> years? That's not bad. I mean, okay, 20 million it, for us is, like, crazy. Yeah, yeah. But for the universe, it's, I mean, it's not, because, like... You know, the uncertainty always depends on the on the measurement. Mm-hmm. Like the higher the measurement, it's just higher the uncertainty. Like that's and one thing I was so surprised to see is how much 
astronomers and cosmologists approximate things. Like yes, in our class, yes, instead of doing like, well, you know, we do it to the ability of our our knowledge today mm -hmm. in in astrophysics, right? And the way that we use this, the, the information that we have about stars and you know, everything that happens out in space is pretty good, but we find ourselves doing approximations most of the time, right? Because there's no point in trying to account for every little um, like process that goes on. For example, um, if you're trying to estimate the lifetime the lifespan of a star, what you'll do is you'll just um, you'll just focus on one aspect. Like I said, hydrogen burning, right? You, you can estimate the lifetime of a star based on just how much hydrogen it has and its, uh, its current luminosity, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, something like that. Anyways, but yeah, you, you form some some accurate approximations, but I'm not, you know, coming from just foundational physics in in first year it's it's i'm not really used to just just doing approximations instead of actual calculations mm -hmm. yeah one thing i definitely definitely want to say before uh we have to end the episode is um when people ask you know what happens before the big bang like what was going on before the big bang mm -hmm. and one thing that i always like to bring up when this when this question comes up is you can imagine that time before the big bang is not defined it just doesn't yep. exist and in your head you're probably thinking about time as like as linear and so you know after after zero it's just cut off and that doesn't really make sense but imagine time as a sphere where the the north pole of that sphere is time equals zero and then as time goes on it you know the points on this on the sphere go uh around and towards the south pole and so for example if we were along the equator which is let's say let's say present time is the equator and i said okay we'll look back into the past you would go towards the north pole right and anywhere you are on this equator you would head towards the towards the north pole right mm -hmm. so you can say okay we'll go this far back in time 10 billion years 12 billion years 13 billion years and you'll get closer and closer to the north pole but when you get to 13.8 billion years ago you are standing on top of the north pole so there's no direction you can walk in that will bring you further back in time everywhere mm -hmm. you go it will just you know It'll just bring you somewhere that is that is uh, closer to today mm -hmm. than it is from before the Big Bang, which just doesn't exist, right? And you... this is all because, yeah, j just because we really have no idea how to theorize or even how to begin with what could have been before the universe. Mm -hmm. Because the way we define our universe is that our universe, as Parker said, let's say, is in time, is the sphere. That's how we define it. And that's how we will always live in it. We will never, ever be able to know 
what is on the other side of the sphere? Is there another sphere? Or Because there are a lot of theories that suggest that there was a universe before this one that then collapsed and then made this one, for example. You know, for uh, and there are many universe and there are many theories, sorry, that say that this is the only and will be the only universe that exists. But again, there is no way for us to prove which one is right or wrong. So all we can do right now is stay on this sphere and just live with the fact that we're on it because we can't do anything about it. We can't mm-hmm. even think about what could have been before because there's no way, no physical way for us to know. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. Very interesting things for you yeah, guys to digest. Very things here. Uh, we're going to end the podcast here. Um, this was an awesome episode. Yep. Let us know if you want us to do another Big Bang episode. Maybe for Big sure. There Bang. are actually other things that we can talk about, like go into depth. Yeah, or that's right. let us know. Definitely let us know if you guys want like a like a standard model of particle physics episode, like mm-hmm. as Parker was saying, where we talk about, you know, the four different types of forces and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you want awesome. us to go in depth in that, for sure, tell us, shoot us an email, DM. Yeah. So I mean, leave, yep. leave a like, make sure to listen to other episodes of the podcast because everything we talk about is awesome. Other than yep. that, uh, leave a follow, leave a comment Email us if you have any questions. Instagram at math.physics.podcast. This has been episode number 33 of the Math and Physics Podcast. And I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. See ya.